So this morning we're going to start our, our message time with a video, and it's a video of a young man that's been a part of our church for a little while. I actually married them years ago. Uh, I married him to his wife, Taryn. They now have some kids. And this, this young man has a story to tell and to share with us. And I was thinking as we watched baptisms today and as we sang the, the song right before the baptisms, it was such a beautiful song of, of the story of Jesus and what he's done for us. And this is exactly what has happened in the life of this young man. So listen to his story. Uh, we're going to tie it in with a message today. Fast lane. It's kind of where I always lived my life. I got this nickname kind of through my drug use and full throttle behavior. My life was pretty self-centered in the sense that I was always living for me. The pattern that I had been in for so long was to get angry, to drink, to use drugs, and that was just fueling my uh, bad behavior. I was longing for a sense of purpose. I always ignored God's calling. I, I had a relationship with God, but I had never given myself fully and completely to Him. Everything that I did was always in a self-satisfying or, or self-serving manner or fashion. I had a lot of just built up anger that my life hadn't gotten to where I thought it could be at the time. Um, or I was trying to project that anger outwards, but I was really angry at myself for the mistakes that I had made. My dad had come over to my house to ask me about something that had happened at work, and I escalated the situation and kind of stretched, stretched it to be something that was in between him and I. We got it in each other's faces, and I knew I could say some things that would make him upset. I took the opportunity to uh, beat him up. I pulled him to the ground before I even could realize what had happened. I had literal blood on my hands. Uh, I was out of control. I was working at home and a friend called and said he wasn't gonna pry too much, but uh, he knew there were some things going on with me and said if I wanted to hear it, uh, he had some news about a place that he had been to. My wife and I had a meeting with them, and from, from his wife's mouth, she said that their relationship had never been better, and that she wouldn't trade the things that they had gone through for where their relationship was then. And that sounded like something very appealing to me. I knew that I needed help, or I was gonna lose my kids, my job, and my marriage. It was one of the best choices I've ever made. One thing I'll never regret was going to the center and praying. I prayed deep desperation, not the, the usual desperation, but that I'm gonna make a choice and I'm gonna try to do something that will, that will fix this. You know, I, was, I was sick of the storm. When I went to the center, I realized that it was only by God's grace 
that I was still alive. It was only by God's grace that I still was married and that Axiom was gonna support me through this and that I would have a job when I got out. It was because of that grace being shown to me that I realized that God has had my back this whole time. Whether I was willing to let him in, he was still at the door knocking. I always, I always think about that always like a door with a knob only on one side. Jesus is knocking on the outside, but we, we have the knob on the inside. We actually have to open the door. I couldn't understand what he could do for me unless I was brought down to that, to that level, unless I, I had hit rock bottom. Through that rock bottom, the grace that I've been shown, the forgiveness that I've experienced in my life from my family, from my wife, and from God, and having the power to forgive myself for a lot of the things that I've done, getting rid of that guilt, that wouldn't have been possible if I was still at a high point. Like in, in low points or when we really realize how, how much God does for us, My name is Lane, and I'm a newly baptized, firm believer in Jesus Christ. I'm so proud of Lane, and I wish that people would talk more about their addictions and their struggles in life, because what that does for us is it not only helps us to confess our sin and our struggle and our need for Jesus, but it also really invites people to do the same. You know, it, it makes it more comfortable and familiar. And so I'm hoping that more and more people will be willing to talk about the things that they struggle with. And, and that's the kind of church I want to be. Right? It's the kind of church that invites the hurting and the broken to come and experience the love and grace of Jesus that we've experienced. And so this is the power of a changed life. And I know the story's not over for Lane. I know there's, it's going to be struggle. It's going to be hard. It always is. But I believe that this power of a changed life is the greatest power on the planet. Because who else can really bring a man under submission? <laughs> you know, lots of women have tried it. Right, women? Uh, but we need Jesus to do that. We need the power of the resurrected Savior to bring our heart under submission so that we can love and we can lead and we can care about people like Jesus wants us to. So for, for me, Lane's story imparts courage. You know, for over 2,000 years, lives have been changed, lives have been deeply impacted, have been powerfully impacted by the resurrected Savior, the one that we worship here at, at North County. And the good news is that we believe that this forgiveness of our sin, this grace we place our trust in, is the one thing. This is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And today we get to find the culmination. It's all going to come together today. You know, Paul's been talking about all the things that divide us. And today we're going to talk about the thing that unites us. And I know we've alluded to it a few times, but this, this is it. Paul reminds us today, chapter 15, of what unites the church of Jesus Christ. So turn in your Bibles to chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to take you through most of chapter 15 today. All right, are you ready? Are you there? Here we go. 
Paul says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important. Can you say most important? Most important. There it is, the one thing. And what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture says. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, the disciples. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles, and last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time. This is Paul saying that, you know, I really should have been born a disciple, right? He didn't get his meeting with Jesus until after Jesus resurrected and met him on the road to Damascus. Remember that story? Powerful story. So Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And if you remember, Paul's history was as a, a Pharisee and a Jew. He persecuted the early church, and he arrested and had people arrested and even put to death. And so Paul's saying, how am I even worthy to be called an apostle of Jesus Christ? And so it all comes down to this. And this is number one in your notes today. This is what it comes down to. Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection is the one thing. Paul said it. So well, he said, this is the most important thing, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we jump in today, I just want to make a statement today that this is a historical fact. I know we talk a lot about faith, and yes, we are saved by our faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, but this is also fact. This is by eyewitnesses and testimony. People saw it. People wrote it down. And in a court of law, you understand that it only takes a few witnesses to really help bring about a verdict. And that's what happened in the court of those days as well. And at the time of Paul writing this very letter that we're reading today, hundreds of eyewitnesses still lived. People that had seen Jesus crucified, people that had seen him risen. And it's not just in the Bible. It's other historians as well that refer to Jesus, like Tacitus and Suetonius and Josephus, to name a few. But beyond the history of Jesus and beyond the faith that we have in him, then there's the heart that we see changed over time, millions and millions and millions of people. The, the change that Lane talked about today, the change that brought these young people up to be baptized this morning, that they, that they recognize the love of Jesus for them. And for over 2,000 years, millions of people have been giving their hearts to Christ, and the resurrected Christ has been resurrecting hearts and lives for centuries as people give their hearts to Christ. It's really remarkable. When you think about it, it's amazing. So Paul goes on to write in verse 10, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor or his grace on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Paul didn't have a humility problem, did he? <laughs> Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. And I just want to say to you today and remind you today that we are here simply because of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, nobody's worthy of what God does for us. And I stand here today fully and completely 
because of his grace in me. You know, I got the chance to walk up Sumas Mountain with Lane and with about 25 of his family members and friends. And that day, Lane responded to the grace of God in his life by getting baptized. And I wanted you just to enjoy that moment with me today. So here's a short little video of Lane's baptism. Isn't that cool? It was such a beautiful day, and I want you to notice I held him down a little bit. Did you notice that? <laughs> Tried to get that tattoo under the water, you know. It was cold. It was cold. That was Swift Creek on Goldmine Trail. So beautiful, beautiful day. But the reason I wanted to show you that is because Lane found his grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. This is not anything that he has done for himself, but what Christ has done for him. This is the timeless truth of our resurrected Savior. So that's number two in your notes today, that Jesus Christ's resurrection actually changes hearts and lives. Changes hearts and lives. Uh, you heard Lane admit in the video that he lived for himself. He was a selfish person. I ran into one of his high school teachers after the service today, and the guy goes, man, you cannot believe what a hellion that young man was <laughs> in school. And he was an angry young man, is what he said. He was an angry young man. And for Lane, as he said, it took hitting bottom and, and potentially losing everything uh, of goodness in his life, his wife, his family, his kiddos. And he knew he was at the place where he needed to embrace the grace of Jesus that he's known about his whole life. He's known who Christ is and maybe even had some semblance of a relationship with him. But it was time to submit his heart and to embrace the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, the old is gone and the new has come, right? The new has come. And what is that new? Well, let me tell you what that new is that comes from the resurrected Christ in our life. And it's heart change. It's heart change. You know, anybody can change their behaviors. Anyone can do that. But really, only Jesus can change the heart that drives the behaviors. And so if you really want to change in life, the only way, in my opinion, to really do it is to invite Jesus to do it for you and with you. He has the power. The same power that resurrected him from the dead is the power that lives in us. And what would that change heart look like? It would look like less selfish, more caring, you know, less living just for my own wants and needs and more living for the wants and needs of others. Um, maybe it would look like giving, giving my life away, giving my heart away, um, becoming more generous, uh, just becoming more life-giving. And so, you know, we live our lives, I think, for the temporary comforts that we want to help us get through life. Sometimes it, it goes to addictions, but sometimes it's just the temporary comforts. And, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things about life. I enjoy a lot about life. I love to travel. I love to, to eat good food. I love to be with my friends, enjoy my friends. And it's a good life. It can be a really good life. And you might say to me today, well, at least, Pastor Kurt, I'm not drinking and I'm not drugging like Lane. You know, I, I, didn't, I haven't done that. And I would say to you today, in light of the resurrected Christ and what Jesus has done for us, I would say, that's great, but what are you using your life for? Are you using your life to add value to the lives of others? Are you using your life to care and to love others? Are you using your life to, to move away from a self-centered kind of living and move toward the kind of living that, that pours out yourself on on one another, on those people God has given you to love? 
A resurrected life produces life. That's what happens. When, when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, resurrects your heart, then you begin to be a life producer. And I understand it takes a lifetime to learn how to do that, right? So you live your life on a continuum of being a life giver. Maybe you're here. And what I would say to you today is that all of us can move forward. We can advance in, in what it means to be a life giver, to be a person that cares, to be a person that gives, to be a person that, that loves. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what Jesus wants us to do with our life. So a resurrected life produces life. We become somebody who loves people, blesses people, is generous to people. Why? Because Jesus did. And Jesus is. So verse 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. That's Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Jesus Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. First of the harvest, that simply means, because there were other people that were raised from the dead, right? Even before Christ. Well, he even raised some, Lazarus. But Jesus is considered the first of the harvest because he was the first that was raised and given a glorified body. So he's the first one with a body that is going to be able to withstand the glorious pressure of heaven. Be able to live in the presence of God. And each one of us who, who are in Christ are going to receive a body like that. And that's going to be incredibly remarkable, right? So then all who belong, there's an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised as first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will, will be raised when he comes back. And that's number three. Why do we need the resurrection? Well, we need the resurrection because we will all die. We will all die. I'm sorry to break it to you. I know you came to church to be encouraged today, to be lifted up. And here's this pastor saying, you're going to die. You are dying right now, you know. And I don't apologize for that. And, and all the more reason why we need hope. Amen. And death means a lot of different things to me. And I want to talk a little bit about that with you. But I love hope. I'm a hopeful guy. I live my life in the pain and disappointment and sadness of other people's lives. And I always look for hope. I always look for hope. I always want the solution. And, you know, we live under the curse of death. That's Adam's contribution to us, right? Because he sinned. There's death all around us all the time. And there's physical death. We all know what that is, right? It's when someone takes the last breath and, and you lose that person in this lifetime. You lose them on this planet. And that's, that's one kind of death. But there's also a lot of different kinds of deaths, like the death of dreams, the death of hopes, right? Things that you longed for. The way that you thought your marriage was going to be. The way that you thought your children were going to turn out. The potential that you saw that maybe didn't happen. You know, the, the, the things that you longed for in life. And, and maybe the death that comes when you just feel sad about something in life. Or disappointed. Or life is unkind. There's a lot of ways that this curse of death touches us. And when it touches me, I have this thing that I say all the time. In my head, I say... Kurt, it's okay. It's going to be over soon. It's going to be over soon. And when I say that, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about heaven. I'm thinking about eternity with Jesus. I'm thinking about living on a new earth that's going to be perfect and amazing. And if you've been married any amount of time, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. My wife and I have been married 38 years. And both of us, in, on probably many occasions, have had that day where we've, we've looked at each other and said, Really? 
this is all there is? You know, another 40 years of this? And that's okay. I want you to know there's great joy that comes with marriage and friendship, but there's also great potential for disappointment and sadness. And when those days come, we're able to say, you know, it will be over soon. It will be over soon, you know? And, uh, and, and then there are really, really good days as well. There are great days. So last Thursday morning, I woke up, and you know I have a routine. So this is kind of how this plays out in my life. I've told you about my routine. I wake up. First thing I do is I just lay in bed and pray. Lay there and pray because I know I need to before my feet hit the floor, right? So I lay and pray. Uh, then I go to the coffee machine, make coffee, stand there with my cup, get the first dregs out of the coffee machine. My wife's always mad because then the coffee's thin for her, right? But at least I got the first cup. I haven't learned how to love that way yet. I mean, I'm working on it. So I'll get my coffee, have my coffee, and then I'll post a psalm. How many of you read my psalms sometimes on Facebook? Yeah. And then I'll do my devotion for the day, and I write a devotion every morning, and then I put it in an email, and about 730 of you are reading those devotions. If you want to do that, just go online, find Kurt's devotional. And so I did all those things, and then the last thing I normally do is I go for a run. Uh, And that morning, Thursday morning, I just couldn't do it. This is the first time this has ever happened to me. I couldn't get together the emotional bandwidth to go out for a run. And I love to run. I love to run. It's how I, you know, get rid of excess energy. It's how I get emotional strength. I mean, I, I love it. I love the endorphins. I love to run. And this particular morning, I couldn't. And it was because I'd had a week that was just a little bit overwhelming, just with stuff, you know, just the normal stuff. Nothing big happened. But that morning, I found that I just, I just didn't want to run. And so what did I do? I gave myself some grace. And I invited Jesus into that moment. I said, Lord, meet me here. It was probably an hour, hour and a half that I just kind of sat and did some more work on studies and message and things like that, encouraging things. And then I knew Gwen was going to get up, and I thought, well, maybe Gwen will go for a walk, and then I can join her on a walk, because I I could conceive of walking, just not running, okay? Does that make sense to you? I I don't know. And so anyway, Gwen got up, and pretty soon she says, I think I'm going for a walk this morning. And I said, hey, can I join you? Sure, yeah. So we walked, and we talked, and the next morning, Friday, I was back on the road running. It was just that moment in time, and I, I tell you that to say that, that we have these moments in time where we need, we need the resurrected Christ. I mean, we need him all the time, right? But we need him in those moments where we just can't deal with life anymore. And in those moments, you, maybe you give yourself a little grace, but you tell yourself the truth. You say, it will be over soon. It will be over soon. Not in a, not in a hoping for death thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that you should you know, wish for death at all. But I'm saying the truth is that the world's not all it's cracked up to be. And we live in a mixed bag of a world, don't we? There's good times and there's hard times. And we need hope. And what I'm telling you today is our ultimate hope is in the resurrected Christ. He is the one. He is the only one that can give you the grace that you need for those situations that are troubling and hard for you. So we need the resurrected Christ in our life to live well, to live unselfishly, to give our lives to others. And the kingdom is is what's going to win in the end. The kingdom's going to win. So, you know, that's what uh, Pastor Larry said last week. The kingdom is going to win. We know the end of the story, right? It's going to win. So I take you to verse 24 now in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the progression of what Jesus is going to do. After that, the end will come. 
when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. Those are the spiritual powers that Jesus has destroyed by his work on the cross and his resurrection. He's going to destroy them all. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Can you say death with me? Death. death. Jesus Christ has already done the work on the cross, but he is going to have death destroyed for the final and last time. We'll never have to deal with death in any form again. So that's number four in your notes today. Christ's resurrection destroyed the power of sin and the power of death. Jesus is coming back someday. Somebody say amen. amen. Who really believes that? Let me hear you applaud the Lord today. Come on, let me hear you. Is he coming back? Is he coming back? Okay. So here's the truth, and this is what Paul imparts to us today in this scripture, and that is that we are going to be raised like Christ. And then at the end of this mixed bag life as we know it, it's, it's going to come. It's going to be over, and Jesus is going to hand the kingdom that he has given his life for over to the Father, and God will put an end to death. God is going to destroy death in every form. The enemy of our bodies, the enemy of our minds, the enemy of, of our souls. In Revelation 20:14, it says that death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. No more tears for us. We're going to be living in perfect happiness with Jesus Christ. And, and we, we who are in Christ, are going to get to experience the most amazing transformation. So I want to leave you with some hope today. This is what you want to place your mind and your hearts on when you're having a tough day. Okay, you need to tell yourself it's going to be over soon. But this is what you have to place your heart and your mind on. Okay, verse 51. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, like that, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Now, every generation after Jesus Christ, every, every generation that's lived has believed that Jesus was going to return in their generation. And this was Paul saying, I think he's going to come back in our generation. And here we are, you know, many generations forward. And that's what I believe. I think Jesus is coming back in our generation. And I think God likes us to think that because it helps us to live in the expectant hope that it could be today. It could be today. When I was a kid, I don't know why my parents let me watch this, but it was a movie called Like a Thief in the Night. It scared the bejeebers out of me. And it was a movie about Jesus coming back in the rapture, right? But it was a story about how some people weren't going to make it. And then the life that they live after they didn't make it in the rapture. And I came home from school one day. I was like seven or eight years old. And my mom was always home. And she was not home that day. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've missed it. I seriously did. And I ran next door over to Aunt Mona's because that's the only place mom could be. And there they were watching General Hospital. I mean, that's what, that's what they did. I thought she'd been raptured and she's watching General Hospital. <laughs> oh, man. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be, must be, this is, this is a prerequisite for heaven, must be transformed into immortal bodies. Why? Because our bodies could not withstand the glory. Our, our physical bodies could not live in heaven. We wouldn't be able to withstand the, the amazing, marvelous glory of our Heavenly Father. And so we're given new bodies for that reason. 
And then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. I love this scripture. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. That is good, good news, you guys. That's awesome news. And it brings me to my last point today. We will be transformed into people that will live forever. And I like to say happily ever after, right? Because it's the only time this really applies. Happily ever after. So I was talking to a friend recently, a couple weeks ago, and she had lost her father in the recent year and was really, I mean, she had grieved hard. This was a tough, tough loss for her. He was a, a really loving, loving dad. He was like a best dad kind of a person. And this time that we met, it was probably about a year since he had passed, and even though the pain of missing him was still really intense for her, I sensed a shift and there was, <laughs> there was this shift into hope. You know, grieving, mourning had given way to something more powerful. And it was this hope I'm talking to you, talking with you about today. It was the hope of the resurrected Christ. And the hope of, of what that meant to her father, knowing that he was a follower, a believer in Jesus, that he was home, he was safe. And she had known this in her head, but now for the first time she was beginning to really feel it in her heart. And I felt the storm of grief beginning like, like the sky was starting to break, right? And there's little beams of light starting to come through. And, and not only that he was home, but knowing that she would see him again. That began to permeate the dark clouds of the storm of grief. And so, and so she lives her life. She lives her life. It's, it's not gone. It's not perfect. She lives her life. And here's how she lives it. Every, every happiness in her life has a little tinge of the pain, of the loss, every happiness that she has. And that's what I'm talking about when I say a mixed bag world, that every happiness that I have, every happiness that you have is tinged by things of, of grief or disappointment or sadness. And we can't have one without the other. Because when you invest greatly in people or in, in the world that you live in, when you invest greatly, guess what? There's going to be more pain when something goes wrong. When you love greatly and you lose somebody, guess what? The pain is greater. In fact, grief is just the proof that you love somebody, you know, and love somebody well. And so here she is living this life, and, and I think all of us do that. We all experience the tinge of pain in every happiness that we get to have. And what outweighs that, what, what keeps us, I think, healthy emotionally is that we think about heaven and that one day heaven is going to give us, listen, Heaven's going to give us happiness without the tinge of pain. Like that's going to be gone. Can you imagine complete happiness where you're not worried about something or anxious about something or concerned about when it's going to end or when the other shoe is going to drop, right? But heaven will be that perfect, perfect state of happiness, complete fulfillment in Christ. And this is the greatest hope that we have is that these losses we experience in our life are temporary. It will be over soon. And so this morning as we close, we um, actually, Carson picked this song out for the worship team today, and, and he did a beautiful job of picking the songs this week. And, and this song that we're going to sing together is a song called Hymn of Heaven.
And it's a song by Phil Wickham, and I love his writing. He's a prolific writer. And this song, what it does for us today is this song gives us something to sing that really confesses, as you sing it, what you believe about heaven and what you believe about Jesus. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the band to come on up and get ready to lead us in this song. But why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to close strong today. We're going to close confessing what we believe about Jesus and about our eternal life. Lord Jesus, thank you today that, that our hearts are engaged with you, that we understand you love us. We understand what you did for us. And Lord, we know that our salvation is awesome for our life on this planet. It changes our lives, helps us to love and give. But also, Lord, you have, you have prepared a place for us where there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness and sorrow and disappointment. But we will be fully loved and we will love. We will be fully known and we will know. And Jesus, to be honest, we're looking forward to that day. So bless this time of singing, Jesus.